Amen. Well, this morning, Colossians 3, as you find your way there. As Angie and I drove last year from Tallahassee to Clarksville on a Saturday and a Sunday, I listened to that song, Jesus, You Alone, over and over again as we traveled here. Because I just always want to make sure that my life and ministry, they're all about the Lord Jesus Christ and not about us. Every Sunday morning, I get on my knees in the office in there and just cry out to him because I want to make sure everything about our worship gathering, everything about the preaching and teaching of God's word is about the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray he increases and I would decrease. That's my prayer every single Sunday. It would be about him. Well, let me invite your attention to Colossians 3. When you hear the words Duke University, what come to your mind? If you're a Kentucky fan, you may remember March 28, 1992. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. That's exactly right. Kentucky is playing Duke. It's an intense game. Went into overtime. Christian Leitner, 17-foot shot, made the basket for Duke, and they beat us 104-103. Still not over that, but the Lord's working with me to, to do that. And I went to a church one time, and there was a, just a, a godly man in the church. We love him dearly. He wanted to take us out for lunch, and so we go to lunch, and uh, we're at this nice restaurant. And he's, he says to us, he said, I'm just so thankful that you're a pastor and wife and to be here. And, and he said to Angie, I want to give you a gift card so you can go to a store and shop. So I thought that's just so, so thoughtful of him to be able to do that, to give her a gift card. She could go shop and buy some clothes. And then I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder what he's going to give me. I mean, he gave her a gift card to go shop, so what about me? And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's a gift card to go get a sport coat, new suit, something like that. So he gives me a gift, and he says, Pastor, I'd like for you to open it now, if you don't mind. I said, absolutely. I opened it up, and you can't make this up. I opened it up, and he gave me a DVD of the March 28, 1992 game between Duke and Kentucky. And I said, well, Lord, I mean, she got a gift card to go shopping, and I get this Duke-Kentucky game, which I'm still not over. He's got a great, great sense of humor, by the way. And so I love him as a brother in Christ, but we'll never forget. So when you hear Duke University, for those of us in Kentucky, we think about that game. What do you think about when you hear the word church? All of us in this room have ideas about church. All of us in this room probably have an idea about what the temperatures be in this room on Sunday mornings. So we all have ideas about that. But when I think about church, I, I've literally met with hundreds and hundreds of families in my ministry over the years. People who are looking for a church. Where does God want us to land? I had a conversation with someone this morning about that in our facility. Where does God want us to land? How does he want us to be engaged in the church? And when you hear that, I always hear about this. I hear about preaching. When I hear the truth of God's word preached and taught, music, always an important conversation. Hear people talk about activities. They say, I want a church that has activities for all ages of people. Uh, they talk about relationships. I want to be involved in a church where I can build relationships with people. I want to get to know people and I want them to get to know us. I hear people talk about mission. I want a church that's on mission in the community, but also around the world. And then people talk about the way church members dress. Now, granted, they don't use that kind of language, but I know what they mean when they talk about church members. So does the way church members dress affect the church? And I would say yes. 
Now, as I think about that, let me narrow this down for those in the room and those who are watching. When you look for a church, I would just narrow it down to three right now. I could give you many more, but if you're looking for a church, these three things should be non-negotiable for you. You want a church that preaches and teaches God's Word and who are with, with conviction to say God's Word is inerrant, infallible, it's authoritative in all ways from Genesis to Revelation. You want a church that believes and preaches and teaches God's Word. You want a church also that's going to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not going to be on milk all of your life. You're going to grow to eat meat of the Word. You're going to be in a church that's going to help you to become a disciple, a learner and follower of Jesus. You want a church that understands spiritual growth and disciple-making. And then thirdly, you want a church that has a mission to the world. A mission in that city, state, nation, but also a mission to the nations around the world. That's how important church is because those are based on the authority, again, of God's word. So does the way church members dress affect the church? I would say yes. Let me give you some dates. We live in an interesting country. If you look up on the calendar, March the 14th is the National Day of Potato Chips. I don't know how many of you ate potato chips on March the 14th, but that's a national day. And then you look at May the 16th, it's the National Day for Barbecue. I think there ought to be multiple days for that rather than just one day, but, but I, I honor that many days throughout the year. Then you go to, to July 6th and you look at that date and it's the National Day of Fried Chicken. And there's nothing wrong with eating some fried chicken, I like it. And then you go to, to July 12th, it's, it's the National Day of Pecan Pie. Angela makes great pecan pie, by the way, so I love when she makes a fresh pecan pie. July 21st, it's the National Day of Hot Dogs. And I don't know how many of you eat hot dogs, but if you, on that day, they encourage you to have a hot dog. But here's the day, just happened a few days ago. I missed it, by the way, didn't even know it existed, September the 27th. It's another important day, and it's not about food that day, but here's what that day's about. It's the National Day of Forgiveness. And here's what they encourage you to do on this day. I'm grateful, by the way, forgiveness is not limited to one day. We have a forgiving Heavenly Father to you and me. But they're saying on that day, you can look it up and you can go study it. On that day, you need to forgive other people and you also need to forgive yourself. So you may need to go to somebody and say, you wounded me or hurt me, but I forgive you. Or you may need to go to somebody and say, I know I've wounded and hurt you. Will you forgive me? Or for many people, it's just saying, God, in your sight, I need to forgive myself for some things. It's the National Day of Forgiveness. As you and I think about, does the way church members dress affect the church? The answer is yes, because forgiveness is a part of that. And so I want you to take your outline, and I want you to look at Colossians 3, and I want us to think about what is Paul saying here about the way church members, people who are followers of Christ, how do we dress in the Christian life? Look at number one. It matters how church members dress. Now, just for a note, I only have two sermon points today. And so somebody would say, well, does that mean we're going to get out earlier? Maybe, maybe not. Just depends. But it matters how church members dress. Look at the text, Colossians 3. Let's be faithful to God's word. As you know, in this context, Paul has been talking to the believers at Colossae. Last week, he told them all these things you need to put off, you need to take off. They don't fit who you are in Christ. And he goes through one list, and then he goes over another list. And so if we're going to take all these things off, then what do we need to put on? And Paul gets into that. He says, put on then. 
he makes it very clear that it matters how church members dress. If you're going to take these things off because they no longer fit who you are in Christ, what are you going to put on? And then he gives insight to that. And then he says, and here, look at your outline. Number one, the motivation. So if we're going to take this off and we're going to put this on, what is the motivation? Why do we do that? And Paul gives us insight for that. What motivates you to get up and go to work on Mondays? Maybe it's a paycheck. Maybe it's just your purpose in life. What motivates you to take care of yourself physically in life, to get exercise and to eat well? Angie and I got up early yesterday morning and got our steps in. What motivates you to do that? What motivates you to dress correctly as someone who's a church member, but more importantly as a follower of Christ? What motivates you to do that? Paul, to the believers at Colossae, gives them three motivators. Here's why you should dress right in the Christian life. One, as you see here, is God's grace. He says, as God's chosen ones. That is just about the grace of God. You and I... We're not chosen because we're good, because we work so enough or we gave enough money. We're chosen because of God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. That we were lost, we were sinful, we were separated from him. But Jesus, again, perfect sinless life, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. Almighty God saved you and me by his grace, his unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it, could never earn it, but he saved us by his grace. And here's how amazing the grace of God is. It will save a young boy or girl, but it will also save someone who is on death row in prison. That's how amazing the grace of God is. And Paul says here, because of his, you're his chosen ones, you've experienced the grace of God. Because of his grace, you should dress right. Look at the second. He talks about God's purpose. He says holy here in this context. This idea of holy means to be set apart for him. He said, you be holy because I'm holy. He's talked about in the book of Leviticus. And so it means to be set apart for the work of God and the will of God. And so because we've experienced the grace of God and because he has called us to be set apart, he's doing a work in us, conforming us to the image of Jesus. Because of that, then we should desire to dress correctly. So as you look at your life, have you experienced the grace of God in your life? Are you being set apart wholly in the sight of God? And because of those things influences us how we dress in the Christian life. Third motivation here is God's love. He talks about chosen ones. He talks about being holy. And then he says, beloved. What does that mean? It just means you're dearly loved by the heavenly father. Now I realize there are people in this room and there are people who are watching. You struggle with that phrase. You look at your life and you say, but how could almighty God love me? And you look at your life and you say, how could God love me? Because all the people around me, no one seems to love me. And then you look at your life and you say, yeah, but if God loves me, why am I going through all the chaos and the pain I'm going through? Why is he allowing that in my life? But I want you to know in this room and those watching, as a child, preschooler, student, adult, almighty God loves you. He loves you. His love is steadfast. His love is unconditional. His love is never ending. Almighty God loves you. And so Paul is writing to the believers at Colossae and says the motivation is you've experienced the grace of God. He's setting you apart, calling you to be holy, but he loves you deeply and dearly. That is the motivation. Now look at the next part, the responsibility. All of us understand responsibility because when I look at my life, I look at my life and as, as a person I have responsibilities. When I think about being Angie's husband, I have responsibilities. 
When I think about being your pastor, I have responsibilities. When I think about just being a believer in Christ, I have responsibilities in the Christian life. We all have responsibilities. So here's the responsibility. The motivation, grace, holiness, and love. And because of those, then the responsibility is that you and I would dress right as believers in Christ. And then Paul is making it very clear to say, you can't do this on your own. You're going to have to rely on the leadership of the Holy Spirit in life. And the good news is, when you and I were saved, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you and me. We don't have to live the Christian life on our own strength. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can do all things. And so what is he saying? What is the way we dress? He says, put all this off before, now put all this on. So what are we going to put on? I'm going to give you the list of what Paul says here in Colossians 3, straight from the Word of God. Look at the first one, compassion. Put on compassion, compassionate hearts. What does that mean? Somebody who's compassionate just has a heart for other people. When you look at someone struggling or facing difficulty or storms in life, what do you do? You just have compassion for that person or those people. You have a compassionate heart. You're not cold. You're not ruthless. You are compassionate. Who was compassionate that we see in the Bible? Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, he said he would see the crowds of people. And he would what? He would have compassion on them. And so as you and I dress in the Christian life, we need to be making sure we're putting on compassion. God, give me a heart for other people. I don't want to be cold. I don't want to be ruthless. I don't want to be difficult. I want to have compassion for people who are struggling and have needs in life. And I, when I do weddings with couples... I go through a number of things because I want to be practical in those wedding ceremonies. But oftentimes I will read Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And I say this not only applies for us who are church members, but imagine in your marriage if you got up every single day and you stood in front of a mirror and you dressed yourself like what Paul is teaching the believers at Colossae. If you wore these every day, it would revolutionize your marriage relationship. The same is true in the Christian life. Imagine if we came to church every Sunday, gathering with God's people, if we dressed the way Paul is talking about. One is with compassion. God, just give me a brokenness and a heart for other people. Look at the second word, kindness. Folks, kindness matters. Kindness just says, I'm going to say and do things that are going to be kind. I'll speak the truth to you, but I'm going to speak the truth in love. Kindness. We need kindness in our day. Can I get an amen on that? We need kindness. I told you the story about getting a root canal one day. And we got there that morning, and that lady was just having a difficult morning. It, it was not a pleasant day for her, and she wasn't very nice to us. And as I was trying to figure this out, and I remember saying to her, I said, Ma'am, if you'll just be kind to me today, it's going to be better for you and much better for me. Her attitude changed dramatically. We need kindness to say, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to do the truth. And I'm going to do so in love. You need to be kind. I need to be kind. Third one, humility. Great word he says here when you think about humility. What does that mean? It just means strength under control. Humility doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. You let people run over you. It just means there's strength under control. What did Jesus, how did he describe himself? Just look back in Matthew chapter 11. 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden. What a great invitation from the Lord Jesus to come to him. He said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus was a humble man. And as you think about humility, one of the great characteristics of humility is someone who is a servant. See, you and I should never go along in a Christian life and say, I just want you to know how great I am in a Christian life. The opposite of humility is pride. Pride always goes before a fall. You and I should pursue humility because Jesus was humility. Again, you get up in the mornings, you go throughout your day. We relate to one another as believers, what with compassion, kindness, and humility. Look at the next one, gentleness. He goes and he says meekness, but it's the word gentleness, meaning you're not harsh with people. You're not rude with people. The way you interact, the way you talk, the way you relate with people is one of gentleness. What did Jesus say? I am gentle and lowly in heart, humble in heart. He was a gentle man. Again, it doesn't mean he let people run over him. It doesn't mean he ignored sinful behaviors, but he was gentle. Are you gentle in your life? You're just easy to be around because of your gentle spirit. We need that kind of characteristic in the Christian life. We should dress that way with gentleness. Next one, patience. He says in this passage, gentleness, meekness, and patience. How many in this room and how many people watching, you struggle with patience in your life? Absolutely. We live in a day of instant gratification. We don't want to wait for anything. The microwave is not fast enough now. Uh, We need to be quicker than that. I mean, it's difficult to be patient. But he's saying here, if you're going to dress the right way in the Christian life, then patience needs to be a part of that. What does that mean? You're willing to wait on God's leadership and timing. You don't get ahead of God. You don't lag behind him. You're such in the Christian life that you know his voice and you're walking in step with him. You are patient to say, God, I'm not going to move until you give me leadership. I'm not going to stay back here because I want to follow you. Help me to be patient. Help me to wait upon you and your leadership. Look at the next one. The word is forbearance. It's a big word, but he says about being patient. And then he comes along there and he says, he says this, that you also have, if, if bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against each other forgiving you got to bear with one another that's the word forbearance what does that mean you're going to face difficult circumstances you've got to forbear you're going to face difficult people you've got to forbear so somewhere in the christian life you've got to learn to be able to handle difficult circumstances and difficult people and endure them that's forbearance now, now, the circumstances come to us all, but you may be a difficult person to somebody, but you've got to have forbearance, dress that way, because life is not always going to be easy. It's not going to be always uh, cheap, or it's not always going to be just pleasant all the time, but you've got to realize you've got to forbear with people, circumstances, be forbearing. The next one's a big word, forgiveness. When you and I think about forgiveness, is it easy for you to forgive or difficult for you to forgive? Someone gossips about you or lies about you. Someone uh, does something behind your back. Is it easy to forgive or difficult to forgive? We are to be forgiving individuals, not just one day out of the year, but every day of life we're to be forgiving. Why does he say that? Someone has a complaint against you, you forgive. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you. Folks, when you think about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you think about nails piercing his hands and feet, 
You think about a crown of thorns over his head. You think about a spear piercing his side, the blood flowing from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he do that? He did that so you and I could be saved and forgiven. He has forgiven us, and because he's forgiven us, we should forgive other people. Is forgiveness easy or difficult for you? And I would ask you today, again, as children, students, adults, in this room and those who are watching, when you look at your life, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to go to and say, you hurt me or wounded me, but I want you to know I release you, I forgive you. Who do you need to go to and say, I know I've hurt and wounded you by what I said or what I did, but I want you to, would you please forgive me? And how many need to come before God and agree with him and just say, God, I am desperate for your forgiveness. Would you forgive me in life? Listen, we have been forgiven in Christ. He will forgive you. Who do you need to forgive? And then look at the last one, love. He, Paul goes on to say these believers in Colossians that forgive each other above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. Love is a powerful thing. This is not phileo kind of love. You love me, so I'll love you. This is agape love, meaning I love you, period. I just love you because Christ loves me. His love is steadfast, unconditional, unending. I love you because he loves me. Now, when you think about your family, what keeps your family close? When you think about your marriage, what keeps your marriage intimate? When we think about this church, what keeps our church united? Is it money? It's not. Is it power? It's not even that. What keeps those things happening? It it is the love of Christ that makes those happen. Love binds everything together. So when you and I look at the Christian life, are you dressed God's way? Are you wearing everything from compassion to love in the Christian life? Then look at number three. What's the result of that? If you do that, what is the result? Paul makes it clear here again to them. When you put these things on, he says it binds them all together in one body. Be thankful. And what does he say? You will live together in harmony. Unity. There won't be discord. There won't be division. There will be harmony and unity. So when you experience the grace of God and you live the holy life that God desires... And you experience God's unconditional, steadfast, unending love in your life. And then you dress God's way. What is the result of that? It is harmony and unity in the body of Christ. And we at First Baptist Church, do we desire that? Absolutely we desire that. It matters how church members dress. Point number two. It blesses when church members serve. Now what should the church be doing? And again, we've got ideas about that. But Paul is going to say here, uh, it matters how church members dress, but it blesses when church members serve. What does he mean by that? We can fill our church calendar up with activities after activities after activities and still never make a difference for Christ. Just because we're busy doesn't mean we're effective. But you and I, as we think about the vision of our church, we exist to worship God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. We want to be a part of that. So it blesses when church members serve. Look at some things here. Number one, our lifestyles. Paul goes on to say, and he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is like an umpire. An umpire can say safe or out. And so when you look at this, he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Thanksgiving is a part of the Christian life. It's part of our lifestyle. We don't complain. We're not critical. God, we're thankful. 
And as you and I think about what he's saying, let the peace of Christ. And so if I ask you today, as a child, student, or adult, do you have the peace of Christ in your life? What would you say? Some people say yes, some people say no. Here's what I know. If you're in the center of God's will, you'll have the peace of Christ. If you're living outside of God's will, you'll be missing the peace of Christ in your life. And as I've always looked at decisions to say, God, what is your will? How can I know your will in life? These aren't on the outline, but let me give you these four statements. If you're going to know the will of God in your life, these things are foundational. God's word, he is never going to lead you to do something that is in disagreement with the word of God. He's always consistent. God's spirit, you don't have to decide this on your own. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you as a believer. He's going to give you leadership and direction. Again, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to glorify Jesus. God's people, you need to surround yourself with trusted godly people who love Jesus but who love you and they want to see you in the center of God's will obeying him. Then the fourth is God's peace. Because God is not the God of confusion. He's the God of peace. When you reflect on God's will, there's always going to be peace there. There was a story many, many years ago. Angie and I were driving down the road. We just starting in ministry. We didn't even know the right questions to ask in those days. We're driving down the road, this particular city, and Angie asked me to say, when do you think you would finally say that you've arrived in ministry? Uh, great question because we didn't know the questions asked then we were driving by this one particular church and i said you know if i could ever pastor that church i would say i've arrived in ministry i had a lot of respect for that church large church appreciated that church if i ever had chance i'd say i'd arrived there well fast forward a number of years i get a call one night chairman of a pastor search committee it was the chairman of the pastor search committee for the church i said if i could ever pastor that church i would have arrived if i was able to do that he said, we'd like to meet with you sometime. And I made a, an agreement to meet with him in another city. So we met with him one day, walked through the process. He called me back and he said, we absolutely loved our meeting with the two of you. We want to move forward and call you to be our next pastor. Again, years ago, I said, if I could ever pastor there, then that's it. As we prayed and sought the will of God and the timing of God in that, there was an absence of peace in our lives. And I called him back and I said, Brother, I'm honored. I appreciate it. But we do not have the peace of Christ and we have to say no because we don't believe that's God's will for us at this season of our lives. God's word, God's spirit, God's people, God's peace. Is the peace of Jesus ruling in your life? Lifestyles. Uh, Look at next, our message. He goes on from there and he talks about not only the peace of Christ, but then he starts talking about the word. And he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then here's some English grammar for us. He uses three gerunds. What does that mean? It's a verb ending in I-N-G. That's what that means. He uses three of them, teaching, admonishing, and singing. All appropriate in worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the word of God. And so as you and I think about the Word of God, are you in the Bible every single day of your life? I pray that you are. There are many people with Bibles closed, collecting dust. You say, why aren't you in the Bible? Here's oftentimes what I say, I just don't have time, busy. Distractions, distractions all the time. Don't know how. Sometimes it's just too much church work. You can get so busy doing church work, you no longer have time to spend time with the Lord. But he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing, and singing. 
But what does that what does that mean? Teaching, just teaching the word of God. I'm grateful to church that we are a church in connect groups and from this pulpit, we desire to teach the truth of God's word. Admonishing means there are times we're going to speak a word of correction, a word of warning, a word of admonition to somebody. Be faithful to God's word. And then singing. He talks about singing unto the Lord. Now, as you and I think about this idea of, of what he's saying, teaching, admonishing, and singing, what does that mean? He says singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What does those mean? Well, as I think about singing, does the Lord want us to sing to him? Absolutely. We sing to him. We make a joyful noise to him. As we think about singing, what about style? Well, it's not so much about style. As he's talking here about singing, again, psalms, hymns, spiritual song. It's not so much about style in this context. It's about content. You and I need to make sure that what we sing, the content, is faithful to Jesus and faithful to the Word of God. Whether that's a traditional hymn or a modern song, the content matters. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Do do we love to sing traditional hymns? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we love to sing modern songs? Absolutely. Are there certain traditional hymns that I would not sing because the content is not right? Sure. Are there modern songs that I just would not lead us to sing because the content is not right? Yes. And But it's not so much about style, it's about content. I remember my first mission trip overseas was to Santiago, Chile. Never been out of the country, didn't know what to expect. I get to Santiago, Chile. My translator was the president of the theological seminary there, Dr. Guillermo Catalan. Very brilliant man. And I'd never preached with a translator before, and so as I was standing to preach, I was preaching in English, he was translating in Spanish. And I just said to him, I said, Brother, I don't even know any words in Spanish, so if you don't like my sermon, just preach your own, and I'll never know the difference. And he may have done that, by the way, as well. I don't know. But I'll never forget something. It was a holy ground moment in my life. I preached from the back of a Chevrolet flatbed pickup truck. I preached in pulpits, and then they would open up their homes. They would invite all their neighbors to come in. They would invite me to come in, and they say, we want you to share the word of God and the gospel with our neighbors. And then they would come together and sing. And say, well, did they have hymn books? Did they have a screen? Didn't have any of those. But they did have God's word. It could be a guitar, it could be another instrument of some, some, some nature, but they would come together and they would say, let's open up to Psalm 23. We'd open up God's word to Psalm 23 and we would just start singing Psalm 23. It was a holy ground moment. It wasn't about style, it was about content. Content matters. And so again, whether it's a traditional song or whether it's a modern song, make sure the content is right. See, we get bent out of shape over style, but that's not the focus of God's Word. The focus of God's Word, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, very different in some ways, but it's about content. Make sure the Word of Christ dwells in you richly in preaching and teaching, but also in singing. Because when you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, they're going to be faithful to God's Word, faithful to Jesus. And then look at number three, our worship. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, give thanks to the Lord Jesus. 
I, I know in life there'll be people who will come out in the steeple entrance or I'll see some people somewhere out in town during the week or somewhere. They'll, they'll speak a word of encouragement. And I thank God for your encouragement. I appreciate the way you encourage us. But please understand, as, as you encourage us, my desire is always to say, thank you for your encouragement. That means a lot to us. But oftentimes, here's what I will follow it up with. And I pray to do this out of conviction. Thank you for your encouragement. means the world to us, but all the praise goes to Jesus. All the praise goes to him. I appreciate your encouragement. I appreciate your kind words. But all the praise goes to him. Why? In word or deed, give thanks to Jesus. We can do a lot of ministry around the world. I've led teams to the Dominican Republic where we built houses for single mothers and just literally gave them to them. No charge, just yours, free of charge. But when we would give them that house, we never said, I want you to look how great we are. What did we say to those mothers and those kids? We give you this house, but please understand why. His name is Jesus. And we want to share Jesus with you. That's why we did this. We go to Africa and build and dig water wells for people to have clean water. They get a cup of clean water in their hand and they can drink it. It's so refreshing and relieving. We never want them to say, look how great these people are from the United States. They come over here and dig wells and give us water. We never want that. Thank you for your encouragement. But why do we dig this well? Why do we give you fresh, clean water? His name is Jesus. We want you to know him. Medical care. People overseas need medicine. We're able to do that. Why do we do that? We can take care of their dental needs, medical needs. Why do we do that? Not so they say, you guys are the most kind people I know. We appreciate that. But we're helping you medically, physically, dentally, whatever it may be. Why? Because Jesus. And that's what he said in this passage. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And there's something so sweet about trusting Jesus. And so in this room and those watching, how are you dressed? When you look at that list, which ones are you really, really putting on every day of your life? Which ones are missing? Which ones do you need to say, Lord, I need to start putting these on. It will affect my life, my relationships, marriage, family, church. What, what, what do you need to put on? Here's how Paul said, believers in Colossians should dress you and me. Let's bow together for a moment. Heads bowed this morning, today, and I just want to encourage you in the room and watching. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, our appeal to you, our prayer for you, is to surrender your life to him. Trust him today. You need to be baptized as a believer. Trust him today. You need to join the fellowship of the church. Trust him today. There's some articles here missing as you dress as a believer in Christ. Trust him today. And so in the room, we encourage you today. There's something about a private decision, just you and the Lord, but there's something about a public decision. You stepping out and obeying Christ in front of other people. He was crucified in the sight of other people. And so we just want to invite you today in the room 
you need to give your life to Christ, you need to be baptized, join the fellowship of our church, Christian life, Christian ministry decisions, step out today, come forward. Our pastoral staff will be here. Our prayer team will be here. We would love to pray and counsel with you, help you in your spiritual decision because your obedience, again, could be what God uses to to challenge somebody else and encourage you to do that. And then those who are watching, again, you've got the platform there that you're watching on. You can email us. You can send us a message. Make a comment even on that platform. We'll respond to you because, again, our desire is for your private decisions and public decisions that we can help you be obedient to Christ. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for Jesus. We love him and adore him. It is all about him. And Father, today in the room and those who are watching, we pray that people will trust him. He'll change their lives. Private or public, we invite people to come to Jesus and experience his grace, his love, his transformation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray this as we sing this in your name as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. You come this morning. You respond as we sing together.